Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. So uh, we're going to be talking about community this morning. We're on part three of a series. And if you haven't been able to check out the previous messages, they are on Spotify. Just go to Vineyard Bowling Green, check those out. They are available. I highly encourage you to do that. Last week, we talked about how we are created to be in community with each other, okay? We are called to be part of something bigger than ourselves and this thing that we are called to do, this life that we are called to be a part of. We are called to be a part of something that includes other people. It includes believers. It includes non-believers. Our life should reflect the life of Jesus who lived among believers and lived among non-believers. And you have a purpose to serve in that community and to build up the body of Christ and to edify the church. And one of the reasons why we are in this series is because everything that we do, it requires a great yearning and desire to be both prepared by God in the community of others, like we talked about last week, but also be prepared by God in the secret place. That we are called to be prepared by God in the community of others, but also prepared by God in the secret place. So this week, we're going to discuss the secret place, the place where you alone spend time with God, the place where it's just you and Him, and you have developed this personal history between you and the Lord, okay, that nobody else can come in between, and there's going to be things between you and the Lord that's just between you and the Lord, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the secret place. Um, I've been referencing a book called Life Together written by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's, who's just an amazing man, and I want to start with something he says in his book, and he talks a lot about community because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he, he was... Um, he, he was really, um, he, he was a pastor, um, but he, he really just was more of an apostle and a teacher as well because he brought in a lot of different pastors and he was, he was in Germany during the time of the, the uh, Nazi regime and uh, he actually became, a, he, was, he was martyred for what he was doing and teaching and kind of keeping the church together throughout Europe and a lot of pastors together throughout Europe. And something that he did was he would be isolated quite often because he was in hiding or he was in prison. He kind of like Paul, right? He'd be isolated, but then also he'd be in, in a great life of community as well. So he was able to really live in both worlds of isolation, solitude, spending time alone with the Lord. And he really realized that there is so much value in community and there's so much value in solitude and isolation um, as far as not, 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 not like living a life of isolation, but as far as like there's so much things, you, they, they need each other, right? They absolutely need each other. You need some time alone with the Lord, but absolutely you need to spend time in community and we are called to community. So he wrote this book based on that. And along, this is what he says, and I, I really like this. He says, along with the day of community with others, kind of what we talked about last week. Along with the day of the community with others, there must go the lonely day of the individual. This is as it should be. The day together will be unfruitful without the day alone, both for the fellowship and for the, um, and for the individual. 
So it says, this is as it should be. The day together will be unfruitful without the day alone, both for the fellowship and for the individual. So what he's saying is you need to spend time alone with the Lord and the community will benefit from that. So they need each other. The day with others needs the day alone and the day alone needs the day with others. And one thing that you'll see is that so many of those things we discussed last week, the reading of scripture, the singing and praying together, these are things that we do together, yes. And it's so important that we do those things together. We do those things alone as well. We read, we pray, we sing, right? Those are things that we do alone, but we have a different approach. We have a little bit of a different approach. The purpose is the same to worship God to know God, and to to be able to serve God. But there is a different approach when we are spending time with God alone versus spending time with with God in the presence of others. So I want to start with the basics first. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about myself today and sharing some of my story about, about this. But I want to start with the basics. First off, why do we spend time with God alone? Why do we spend time with God alone? Um, have you ever felt a curious desire to know more about God? Have you felt a curious desire to know more about God? Perhaps you're trying to find God's existence in your life. Maybe you believe, but you don't seem as connected as everyone else. Maybe you believe that God is there, but really just more of an idea or a way to live, but not really attached to you on a, on a real personal level. So you have, this, you have this curiosity to find out more about God. You have this curiosity. Maybe you grew up in church and you've just been kind of going through the routine and the motions a little bit and you spend time doing the right stuff, right? You spend time going to a small group in church and reading your Bible, maybe even daily, and, and you believe in the idea of God and the existence of God, but just feel detached from this personal, deep relationship that you've heard others talking about. Maybe you feel like you're kind of on the outside looking in on this great, deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you spend time with God and you have this burning desire to know God more. This burning desire to seek God and to know who God really is. And no matter where you are at, whether it's curiosity or whether it's passion, I believe God is willing and able and and he wants to meet us where we are and reveal himself to us. And this became visible to me when I got a little older. And like I said, I want to share a little bit about my story with you all. Growing up in a Christian home, I was taught to read my Bible, I was taught to pray and to worship, and I didn't realize that there was actually more to seeking God than just reading and praying and worshiping. But the problem is that as I was doing all the stuff, all of the right things, that I would build this desirable relationship with God that would be very blissful, It'd be, it would make me happy, as long as I do those things, right? then I'll be happy. I'll get it. I really did. I really thought that. I thought that as long as I did the stuff, and at the time I didn't know I was just doing the stuff. I thought I was doing the real thing. And as long as I did the stuff, then I would be able to feel this sense of completion and fulfillment and enlightenment. And I'd walk around feeling just mostly the highs of life because I would be attached to the right answers of life. I would be attached to God's team. I'd be on the winning team. And that's kind of what I was expecting out of this, this sense of accomplishment. And I would gain just some, some awesome feeling of validation and significance doing the Christian life. I read my Bible, I prayed, and I spent my time doing the right things. 
But I wasn't really building this give and take with the Lord. I wasn't being transformed. I wasn't just building a, you know, I, I was really just building a process. What I wasn't doing is, is that it wasn't challenging me. Sometimes it, it was hard. It was hard to wake up in the morning and read my Bible when I didn't want to. It was hard to pray for people and like remember to pray, right? Sometimes it was hard. Any discipline can be hard. It can be hard to get up and read when you don't want to or read before you go to bed and, and all that stuff. But I thought that was the deal. I thought that was the sacrifice. I thought that was the secret place. God meeting me in my discipline. God meeting me in my discipline. I thought that was the secret thing. But what I discovered was that there was a different type of heart, a different type of discovery, essentially a different kind of answer. But also with that discovery, a different level of grace and a different level of love that started challenging me on stuff and edifying me. And the hard stuff that I discovered on top of all that grace and love that I discovered as well was actually easier to give up than I ever would have imagined. It was actually easier to give up, and it's still ongoing. This is still a continual process. We don't ever really just arrive at this. It's not I'm standing here before you going, I got it figured out. Me and God, like, there's nothing else to transform in me. You're looking at 100% completion. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm saying is I wasn't really awakened to the fact that God's presence is everywhere, and God is wanting me to discover who he is and discover who he is on earth as he is in heaven right now. So I built this routine, right? I built this routine thinking that the discipline was the secret place. Now, of course, today, still I have a routine. I still have a process, but my approach is much different. And prior to discovering this, I knew that God's presence was all around. But honestly, I felt like I had to jump through so many hoops in order to feel God's presence. And God's presence wasn't really with me until I could feel it. Does anybody else kind of sometimes get, get, that, get to that point? It's like, God's not really here because I can't really feel him. So we start jumping through the hoops to make sure that God's still there. We try to cheat the system a little bit, right? We try to put the right worship song on. We try to open the Bible to the right part. I would read and say my prayers, but really what I was looking for was an emotional connection more than anything else. I was trying to find this emotional connection more than anything else. Honestly, what I was searching for was freedom. I was searching for love. I was searching for purity. I, was, I, I wanted to feel sin-free, and I wanted to feel significance and have purpose in this world and feel acceptance in God's kingdom. And I still want those things, right? I just wasn't quite sure how to approach God in a way that made me feel like I was accomplishing that. I didn't feel the freedom from sin. I didn't feel acceptance like I wanted to. I didn't feel like I was in this intimate relationship with God that I would hear all of these super Christians and super spiritual people talking about. I felt like I was on the outside looking in on something great and what I had was good, but it wasn't passionate. It wasn't really driving me to transform and to know more about the Lord. Instead it was, well, I just gotta read more chapters. I just got, I'm very, I can, I can be very driven by discipline. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm disciplined, but there's something that I'm missing. There's just something that I'm missing and I can solve it. I can figure it out. I need to do better at what I'm already doing. That was my mindset. But the thing is, 
I was checking all these boxes, reading, praying, worshiping, and all that stuff, and I had it down, but very much emotionally still unconnected and, and unattached to this sincere feeling of God's love. And I knew the truth behind Scripture, and even though I felt unattached in comparison to others, I could legitimately make my claim through Scripture, right? I knew I was saved. I knew I believed in, in, in all that, but I wanted more. I wanted more in my life. So over time, I actually kind of became frustrated about, about it. And it kind of spilled over into just like my overall attitude towards church, attitude towards the Lord. And I became cynical at a lot of things. And I thought most people were kind of overplaying their hand, right? I would hear people talking about how they would describe their relationship with the Lord and what the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives and having all these great encounters with God. And I'd be like, yeah, that's good, but that's probably a little bit exaggerated because I've done all the math. I've, done, I've, I've been there. I've been in those sermons. I've been in those worship moments. I've been standing right next to you when you've had this great encounter with the Lord. And so I started to go down this path of cynicism because I wasn't really connecting on their level like they were. So I started rethinking a lot of stuff. And I started rethinking the whole thing. And I thought this was just me uh, in a bad situation, but it wasn't. It was me taking the foundation that I had built through all of this years of, of reading and praying and kind of challenging it in a way. I started to realize that as I pursued the presence of God, which is what I was doing, yes, I wanted answers, but guess what? In my pursuit, God showed up and God gave me answers. We can't be afraid of the pursuit, whether it's curiosity or passion. We can't be afraid of the pursuit because when you pursue, even with the ounce of cynicism, it doesn't matter what it is, God shows up. That's really important because I was too cynical and too really entitled to do, the, to do that stuff. And so I started to really pursue God honestly and I was full and I was met with, with so much compassion and grace, grace in the process of, of some really hard, tough conversations with the Lord. I started to realize that some of my questions were coming from the Holy Spirit, leading me to discovering more about the Lord. And I had this safe, open, honest relationship with the Lord. And for the first time, it felt personal between me and the Lord. When I would seek, he would answer and God started to remove the cynicism and started to build what I thought was curiosity, but really I was pursuing God's truth and I was pursuing God's love. And prior to this feeling, I really started to detach and pick apart things about God just because it didn't happen to me. I started to tear down the work of the Holy Spirit. I started to find holes in the scriptures and I really just became, like I said, a cynic. But at the same time, for the same reason, I still believed I still hung on. I was passionately curious and I had this burning desire for God to reveal himself to me. It reminded me of the father in Mark chapter 9, 23 through 24. And he says this, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I had just enough belief, and I'd been around it just enough. I still remember, this is, this is still leading up to about 2014. Um, I'd heard all through my life, been a part of people like 
laying hands on people and praying and, and God showing up and people being healed of things. And I always thought that was like, cool. I've prayed for people. They said they got better. Awesome. But I dealt with a lot of injuries growing up. My brother, you know, dealt with some sickness and stuff like that. And, and, and people would lay our hands on me and on us and pray and nothing would happen. Sometimes I got worse. I'd be like, yeah, this is back to that kind of, that thing, right? I, I believe, but I mean, that, is, that, is that really going on in other people's lives? Or, you know, you start calculating everything. And I remember one time I was in Campbellsville at the church there. And uh, the pastor said, hey, if anybody needs like something in their body healed, come up. And I'd been having terrible shoulder pain, terrible shoulder pain. Could barely lift my arm. I hadn't worked out in like two months. It was really bad. I was too nervous to go to the doctor because I knew it was bad. And, um, and so anyways, Matt Hingle, y'all know Matt, right? Matt walks up, just says a simple prayer, Lord, heal his shoulder. And he says, come Holy Spirit, heal his shoulder. And then all of a sudden the stuff started happening. And I was like, what the heck? It's like, this is real. I looked at Adam, the pastor, and I was like, I think I just, I think my shoulder just got better. And he's like, cool, man. I was like, I don't think you understand. Like, this is a big deal to me. I was like, my shoulder got better. And he was like, yeah, I know. I was like, no, whatever. It freaked me out. I didn't actually tell anybody but Adam and my wife. I went to the gym and they're like, hey, where you been? I was like, yeah, I just kind of hurt my shoulder. Like, oh yeah, you got better? I was like, yeah. It was so real, it shocked me. And it wasn't like I was running around making a big deal of it. I was like, oh my gosh, this has been real the whole time. And I knew it. I always prayed for people, right? I still had this little ounce of belief and I had enough belief to go up there and go, well, let's see if this happens. I still believe it, but uh, you know, I don't know the formula to really make it work. I haven't figured God out quite yet on how it happens. And so I walked up, the Lord healed me. And that took about a month of me spiritually walking out some stuff with the Lord to figure out some things that I had going on in me. Not bad things, just things I had to let go of. And the Lord healed me and my shoulder went from couldn't move my arm to where I was doing a lot of pull-ups like instantly and like going back to just the way I was. It wasn't like just the like, oh, it just happened to get better. No, it, it over, like within a second, got a million times better. And so I say that because I was the guy that put so much value in the process of reading, praying, and spending time with the Lord, but it felt like it didn't really get me very far. And sure, I gained more knowledge of scripture and the story of God and stuff like that, which is extremely valuable, but I was missing something. And I didn't realize until I started to be honest and putting my heart into it. And, and I really didn't care about, you know, necessarily the distance between what I knew and what I didn't know. I didn't care about reading how, you know, how many chapters are read or, or how much time I put into it. I didn't really care about, all right, Lord, I have to figure out everything. Instead, I just started to say, Lord, I'm just going to worship you. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to slow down on how much I'm reading. And I'm just going to try to figure out you a little bit more. And I cared more about understanding God. So I spent time reading honestly 
and meditating on scripture and honest prayers and honest worship. And eventually I started to become very vocal about where I was at in this process of spending time with the Lord. And the interesting part is that I didn't realize that half the people in my life had been there as well. I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one going through that. I just didn't want to say anything because I was the one that kind of was like, you know, I, I was supposed to know this stuff. And so a lot of these folks that I thought were just full of BS, I realized that they actually had very similar stories, very similar experiences to this. And I cannot give a message about the secret place without sharing that part of my story because so many people think that the most real thing that you can do as a believer is spend time in your Bible every day and listen to Christian music and pray and just do the right things. And the, and the problem is so many people do that and then quit later on because the work wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the reward. And it becomes this really external religious experience. And so many people leave the church for that reason. And so many people quit pursuing the Lord for that reason. So what was the missing link between spending time alone with God and discovering God's glory? What was the missing link? If your only connection to Jesus is by going through the routine and the motions, then you're missing out on the glory that God has for us to experience here on earth. So what is that glory? What is that glory? The glory of the Christian life is to see Jesus in our everyday life and in everything that we do. And ironically, the best way for this to happen is just to activate what the scriptures are saying. It's just to do what the scriptures are saying. Yes, it's more risky and that takes more faith and that takes more devotion, but it's the truth. It is the answer. If God's desire for him is to fill you with the Holy Spirit that, that, so that he can release the fruits and gifts of the Spirit through your life, equipping you to extend your faith and to activate the word of God. That's what God's desire is. It's for him to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can be released in your gifts and in your fruits. And it's not about knowledge and it's not about structure. It includes that, but there's more. It absolutely includes knowledge and structure, but there's so much more to that. And I got permission to share this um, from a guy named Chris Bentley, who's a musician and a creative artist here in Kentucky. Um, how many of you heard the band Sunday Best? Maybe, Okay. He's the guy that hits the cajon for them. And, uh, and we've, we've been chatting a little bit, but he says this. Um, he, he just happened to make this post, and we started talking about it. And I love the way he says it because he had a very similar experience pretty recently. He says this, If we can learn to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, all the words have been said. They need not repeated, but applied. They need to be carried out. Blessed are the peacemakers. My hope is for the community to be a beacon of light for all to see. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So I love the part where he says, all the words have been said. They need not repeated, but applied. So again, it's about activating the scripture. It's about discovering the story. It's about discovering the trajectory of God and fulfilling the great commission to have faith and to teach what Jesus taught us. Great. But this is how we discover God's glory here on earth. 
This is how we discover that. So how is this connected to the secret place? How is this connected to one-on-one experiences with the Lord? Acts chapter 2, 38 through 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the same name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So when we accept Jesus, and there's a lot more scriptures about us accepting Jesus than we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in us. However, it's up to you to allow the Holy Spirit to grow and nurture you. It's up to you to allow the Holy Spirit to grow and to nurture you. It's like a plant. You have to water it. You have to position it in the right sunlight, right? You have to allow the plant to grow, and you, it, it, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta take care of it. And this is what we do in the secret place. This is what we do when it's just you and the Lord. We come to him to experience him, read his words, and have fellowship with him so that the life of the spirit may be alive in us. The life of the spirit may be alive in us so that we would be the manifestation of Jesus in our communities, in our homes, workplace, etc. And God has prepared so much glory, so much grace, and encounters for you and for those around you that he will reveal through your life as you begin to seek him in this secret place. He said, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open, ask and it will be given to you. And believe me, coming from a cynic and a skeptic, seeking and finding and the Lord answering, I can tell you out of my own story and testimony that God will meet you there. And I wanna be practical as well this morning. We've kind of discussed some of the false narratives that come with the process of reading and praying, et cetera. We can't, we, we can't just go through the motions and just gain knowledge, right? But to end this, I want to give some practical tips um, on this. So, so often it seems like we have to, like I said earlier, jump through the right hoops to get into God's presence. But we don't have to say and do all the right things. I love the simple prayers. I love come Holy Spirit and just waiting on the Lord. I love doing that. It's very simple. I heard someone once say that entering God's presence is as simple as entering a swimming pool. Swimming pool. I said really country there. A swimming pool. And uh, Will's shaking his head, yes. Uh, a swimming Why you got to say it like that? A, uh, a swimming pool. First, you simply turn your attention to the pool. Second, you step in knowing that you're about to touch water. That's the exact same way. I love the way that describes entering God's presence. You first just turn your, turn your attention, turn your body towards the pool, then you step expecting to touch water. We just have to give God our attention and believe that you will encounter him and expect God to show up. But there are things that can hinder you from encountering the Lord and can become lies if we're not careful. And there's a lot of things, but I just wanted to talk about three or four quick things. The first one is distracted thoughts. The moment you step into your secret place between you and the Lord, your mind just gets flooded. Mine mine does. And those thoughts can easily misguide your prayers. It can misguide your agenda. If all I'm doing is thinking about work, or politics, or whatever's going on with, with in, in, you know, wherever. When meditating on God, my thoughts and prayers can begin to shift 
and perhaps into something else that the Lord is trying to groom and grow in me. Maybe then I forget to thank God for what he's done. Maybe I forget to listen for his voice about scripture that he's placed in my heart. So something that I do is I start with meditation and I'm learning how to do this better. And I'm not very good at it, but I'm learning. And Bonhoeffer puts it this way in his book. He says, the time of meditation does not let us down, does not let us down into the void and abyss of loneliness. Here's what it does. It lets us be alone with God. And for me, that's what I have to do. Otherwise, I'm going to start chasing thought after thought. So I have to remember, forget everything else. Forget the distractions. This works for me. I just want to be alone with God. So then whenever I am done here, I can then go into that fully equipped and prepared, kind of calibrated for what the Lord has me doing out there. Being alone with God means being alone with God. So don't just start bringing a bunch of outside stuff into that. That's part of it and that's part of the process, but I don't start with that. I start with just simply saying, Lord, it's me and you, not the other stuff right now. And I meditate and I spend my thoughts on the Lord. When we do that, it gives you solid ground on which to stand and it kind of clears the, it kind of clears your mind for the direction that the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And I highly recommend taking one scripture or one word that you, believe is, that, that you believe God is highlighting to you and just focus on that scripture or go back to that word when you start getting distracted and it kind of, it kind of pulls you like an anchor. It kind of pulls you like an anchor into like what the Lord is kind of giving you. And, and don't be discouraged if this takes a while, if this is something that you want to try or it's something that you do. Like I said, I still chase my thoughts like crazy. So immediately I go right to that scripture and I say it out loud or I go to that word and it is kind of like an anchor pulling me back in away from the distractions. It allows me to come back to just thinking about God. And I'm learning to refocus on him in the secret place first before going forward and bringing all the other stuff too. Because we do that too, we're supposed to. We're supposed to pray about the things that are on our heart, absolutely. But first, I just say, Lord, I just wanna make sure that I'm just, I'm not just taking over this thing. I want you to guide me. I want you to anchor me. The second thing that can hinder us and become a huge distraction from entering the presence of the Lord is shame and guilt and condemnation. Uh, shame, guilt, and condemnation, one of the most powerful weapons the enemy uses to keep you from coming to God. This is why it's so important to come to the Lord with an understanding of the righteousness you have before him. John 8.32 says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is that Jesus died on the cross to be with you because he loves you. When you accepted Jesus into your life, he washed your sins away and gave you his righteousness. And as a result, you are able to enter God's presence anytime with confidence because the Father sees you through the eyes of his perfect son, Jesus, not based on how good or bad you've been. And the veil has been torn so we can encounter the presence of the Lord anytime. So if you have to meditate and reflect on one scripture, Romans 8, 1, that says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That was something that I had to read to myself quite often whenever I was going through this kind of battle of cynicism because I started feeling really guilty and unqualified to ever be in the ministry of the Lord if I had any doubt in my life. The enemy started planting that seed and that lie inside of me saying, you can't be thinking like that. You can't have any questions. 
So you're, you're, you're disqualified. And so I started thinking, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I started working this out between the Lord, and I started working this out with some other people. The third thing, lack of faith in God's goodness. The Bible says that it is impossible to please God without faith. That's in Hebrews 11. Sometimes we are hesitant to spend time with the Lord because we lack faith in his love and goodness towards us. So what does that mean? Sometimes we forget that he is super generous towards us and gives us gifts that we are to grow and that we are to share. And we can easily lie and manipulate ourselves into thinking much like I did, I don't have anything to offer. I don't really have much to offer. So as you come to the Lord in prayer, ask him to uproot anything that has not been planted by the Father and to look for the seeds that he has planted deep inside of you because every one of us in here have gifts and we're going to begin to discover those gifts more and more, even today. Number four, don't be afraid to seek. The truth is there. The truth is that there are no exact steps to building a relationship with God. There are no exact steps to building a relationship with God. Every, everyone's time with God is different and some days are different than others. Sometimes I feel like I just basically went to heaven. Some of the days I feel like I didn't really do, like, I was like, it's me and the Lord today. And that's it. Everyone has a different history with the Lord and different days with the Lord. And I believe that's what makes it really great. Um, so, so give God an honest heart. Matthew 15, verse 8, it says, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So we have to be honest with our heart and we have to give that to the Lord. So I have a routine, like I talked about, but really it's just organized chaos is what it is. It's organized chaos, but it allows me to cover things I know otherwise I would not. And I shape my time and I shape my prayer um, and, and just my worship time and everything around the Lord's prayer. That's what I do. I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but that's what works for me. That way it, it helps organize my, my kind of outline for how I spend my time with the Lord um, but your time praying in the secret place shouldn't be about getting something from God. It should be to enjoy and love him for who he is and everything else he's already given you. It's about coming to God for him alone and setting everything else aside. That's what this is about. And everything else will flow out of that one desire because this is what connects you to the heart of God. And I want to end with this scripture in John fifteen fifteen. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything, the father told me. Jesus wants to share his heart with you. So just be real, be honest, be focused, and be ready to listen and respond. Don't just read and shut the book or turn off the app. Stop, pray, think about what you read, spend time singing to God, and you will begin to embrace his presence in a newer and much richer and deeper way. Amen.